Welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on February 6, 2021. Well, we've made it like a full month into the new year. Um, our current president, I think, has set a record, land speed record for the number of uh, I think he's still going. In fact, he's run out of ink. He's had to get an order of more pens, but he's still signing executive orders and ruling from by fiat from the from his desk. And uh, 2021 is just moving full steam ahead into crazy, uh, you know, into crazy town. And so we are just going to ride this train and we're going to be here with you guys. And we're going to hopefully preach the gospel as we go along. But welcome. Welcome back. Thank you for uh, joining us. Sorry about last week. Um, sorry that we had to to do a rerun, although... <laughs> Looking at the download numbers, apparently you guys didn't notice because y'all just downloaded and listened to it anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, I was rich. I they, they stunned me. Normally, downloads are our lowest number, or re- reruns are our lowest number of downloads, and it's like they didn't even notice. They just went, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll listen to that one too." So, <laughs> but thank you for uh, thank you for coming back. We do we do have a regular recording program this week so as i always ask you rich even though we know how you're going to answer <laughs> how are you doing this week my brother well let's see my back is really really starting to act up my my neck um i could probably sit here for about 30 or 40 minutes <laughs> and bore people to death but i'll just say what i always say better than i deserve amen because i am saved in christ and no matter what earthly affliction no matter what the government may throw at us if we're saved in christ we're always better off than we deserve amen amen and the government seems to be intent on doing just that uh supreme court today and this is not our topic but the supreme court apparently came out today and said oh yeah no california can't tell churches you can't meet indoors everybody's like yay and then they said but they can tell you the number and that you can't sing boo (laughs) although Demonstrating yet again why he needs to be taken out of his position, Russell Moore said this was a reasonable and good decision. Yeah. Way to go, Russell Moore. Is there a liberal agenda you don't applaud? I'm, I'm just curious, Russell. Really? I, I'm just curious if he actually received a response from the White House because, you know, it was going around a couple of weeks ago that he'd been petitioning wanting to be the spiritual advisor to either Kamala Harris or Biden. I I forget which one it was, or maybe both, but, um, yeah. Well, I mean, and that tells you a lot. I mean, it's, it's very unfortunate. And and, and I understand some people genuinely, and by the way, I'm going to because somebody responded to, to me in my comments when I shared this. Yeah, I get it. The, The, what's going on with COVID people get sick. It, it really messes up some people's bodies and tragically, because nine times out of ten underlying conditions, people have passed away because of this illness. I, I get it. It's we we don't wish illness on anyone. We we've been saying and look, Rich, you and I during the early part of 2020 kind of jumped on that. Hey, let's love one another. Let's let's Romans 13. Let's let's not uh, attack churches that honor this. But even we recognized over time, this was getting ridiculous. This was getting beyond anything that was reasonable. And now you've got 
this back and forth between uh, the liberals want to open everything back up, but let's, oh, it's a brand new strain of COVID. Everybody's going to die. Um, so when someone tells me, well, maybe, maybe Russell Moore was genuinely concerned about this new strain. I don't think that has anything to do with it at all because his history has demonstrated that for four years, he, he, he wasn't concerned about, uh, about uh, anything other than any, uh, any kind of support that would damage Trump. And now he's just well, we you know we've we've got to pray for our new president, and 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 this is a good decision by the Supreme Court, and yada yada yada. I'm sorry, that man's a political plant. <laughs> I'm gonna call it what it is. The ERLC needs to go, and so does Russell Moore. So anyway, that's a separate subject for another time. But it does kind of somewhat play into our our topic tonight, and we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, but yeah, I just it's it. I, I'm totally with you on that, brother. I mean, no, no matter what comes, we have an amazing, amazing God that we serve. And he has promised that we will endure tribulation and trials. And while we are starting to see them, they are still only the tip of the iceberg what the persecuted church around the world tends to face. So it's not that we should say, oh, well, we're not being persecuted. It's coming. Believe me, we're, we're actually seeing all the dominoes lined up for it. And the, the first few are starting to fall. And if all of y'all want to say, well, you, you're not being persecuted. You have a martyr's complex. Um, persecution almost never starts with, unless you're talking like violent overthrow of the government. And now you've got a complete totalitarian regime that's ruling with an iron fist. You rarely see the uh, the kind of persecution that most people are dealing with as full on persecution it doesn't start that way it starts small so it, we are starting to see that happen and it's going to be a difficult ride and it's going to be hard and and i mean my own state has said oh uh, we want to go after homeschoolers again and uh, other states wanted to you know we've we've got a gal that's coming up for this you know, the uh, education department, you know, she hates homeschoolers with a passion, you know, uh, you know, says that we, uh, us who homeschool want to, uh, you know, basically only indoctrinate our children in conservative values. And this is bad for children and women. Yes, it's coming. And God has promised that. And he's also promised us that he will never leave us or forsake us. And so I, I totally agree with you, Rich. I, what an amazing God we serve. And we've certainly seen our fair share. By the, by the way, folks, uh, the reason we weren't here last week, um, my, I told you guys before, we had a member of my extended family who was basically on hospice. Well, she has passed. And uh, that was a rough week last week. And uh, uh, Rich was very gracious to offer that we just record on another day. And that's why we ran a, a, a program, a rerun program last week. So thank you for all of you folks who have prayed for our family. Uh, it was, uh, we know where she is now. She is with Christ. She is rejoicing. There is no more pain. There are no more tears. And in some ways, kind of jealous because she's out of this mess and she's with her Savior and she doesn't have to watch what's coming. So um, so what a blessing to know where she is and, and uh, that she's, she is forever rejoicing with her Savior. Praise God for that. So, But uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm totally with you, brother. We're getting ready to go through a very difficult season. But as you say, we are far more blessed than any of us deserve. What an amazing God well, we I'd, serve. I'd like to kind of add, to something you said, and I hope our listeners will will take it to heart. 
Um, sadly, a lot of times I think our listeners or brothers and sisters that realize and understand the things that we say, and I think sadly sometimes we're preaching to the choir, so to speak, but if anything else, I hope and pray that our listeners can take something from what we discuss and apply it to those around them. Mm-hmm. Because I've, I've been saying this for some time, and I truly believe it now, that there needs to be apologetic, Christian apologetics developed towards other Christians. Mm-hmm. Because the persecution, the slander, the reviling that we're going to see will not start out and come from government oppression. It's going to start and originate from among the pews, and we're already starting to see this happen when professing Christians are telling other professing Christians, you need to be accepting of this particular lifestyle. You need to go along with what a person's preferred pronoun is. It's not loving to point out sin in their life. It's not loving to call a man a man, if he identifies as a woman, we need to show them love and identify identify them according to what they believe and what they want. It's not loving to, you know, go to church. It's not loving to do all the other things that we're going to touch on. Yeah. But I just want to start out by pointing this out. Our hope and purpose in tonight's episode will give you a starting point when it comes to addressing these issues with other Christians. And above all else, remember this, all of the discussions, all the debates that are raging in our age, always go back to the Bible, which is the ultimate source of all of our truth. Go back to the Bible, open it up, and show these professing Christians what the Bible actually says. And remind them it's not your opinion, it's not their opinion, it's not your emotion, it's not their emotions, it is what the Lord has said. It is how God himself has defined sin. Because guess what? God created everything. God has the right to define how his creation is supposed to live. Amen. 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 And, and I think that's the the big issue is that we've heard, you know, we, we're talking about uh, loving your neighbor, by the way, this week, folks. We heard all of 2020 and going into 2021, hey, Christians, you need to love your neighbor. And we've heard so many ways in which love your neighbor has been kind of foisted upon the Christian by people who aren't even Christians, really. Um, and it, the church has eaten it up, unfortunately. Um, I, I absolutely agree with you when it comes to the issue of well, how do we define that? Are we defining loving your neighbor as what the world defines it as, or are we doing it as the way God defines it? And I think, sadly, we saw o- over the last year a great many people who like the idea of using the world's definition of love because that seems loving, that seems kind, that's generous somehow. And so, okay, we're going to love our neighbor by doing, and, and you brought up the J.D. Greer, uh, you, you t- kind of touched on it a second ago, but you brought him up last time we recorded when he said he would use a person's preferred pronouns. And now, if you don't understand what that means, uh, in this day and age where we believe that someone who is mentally deluded, and I, I use my words specifically, 
who is mentally deluded, who actually believes that despite their biological functions, despite the the uh, physical characteristics, their biology, despite all things contrary to what they want to believe, that their biological sex is just simply wrong. And that, you know, I, I, I could be born a man and no, I am just absolutely certain I'm a woman. No, I could be born a woman and I'm absolutely certain I'm a man. And, and we go, this is delusion. This is wrong. We, we recognize this. We understood this at one point. This was a person who could not make the mental connection that they are what they see in the mirror. Okay, that that the man looking in the mirror is a man. He is not a woman. And yet we have said, you know, you have a, a, a president of the SBC who says, well, so as to not create a problem, you know, if they if they want that man wants me to call him a woman, I will use those preferred pronouns because I don't want to offer a stumbling block. I want to be loving to my neighbor, essentially. And that is let me go ahead. sir. let me let me add to that. So. If people are not aware, they, they understand more of the context. This is a person that J.D. Greer would allow into his church, that he would allow to sit among the pews, among those that he has given to shepherd. And first, this person is sitting there, a man thinking that he's a woman. So J.D. Greer is going to use the preferred pronoun. He even went on to address that, you know, unless that person sought a position of leadership within the church that until that happened, they would not take that person aside and basically try to <coughs> redirect or, or teach them differently. And that that's to me in the, in that article and what's come out and what was actually stated by JD Greer to me, that sums it up more so than using the preferred pr pronoun. And that is part of the problem within American evangelicalism is they have lost the biblical meaning of love your neighbor. Yeah. And I'll let you continue, but I'll throw this out real quick. There's, there's two aspects of loving your neighbor. We need to remember there's a pragmatic point and there's a spiritual point. Most of us know what the pragmatic point points are when it comes to feeding the poor and helping those in need and everything else that's listed that James affirms from Paul's, teachings, you know, faith, I mean, work, work, faith without works is a dead faith. So we should be doing things to love on our neighbors, to help them. We're not denying that. Our problem is the redefining of what the Bible means by love your neighbor by men such as J.D. Greer and others that are in high leadership within denominations like the SBC that are basically falling under Romans 1 by affirming a person's sin instead of calling that sin out and calling them to repentance. Because just this past week, I've seen two or three times on various postings, critics talking about, well, if you point out a person's sin, you're judging. If you point out a person's sin, you know, that's not being very loving. And then it just snowballs from there. Well, and... and, and We've talked about before that particular issue. Well, if you do this, then you're, hey, you just made a judgment. So stop being a hypocrite, okay? <laughs> you just made a judgment, and yet you're, you, you've you exempted yourself from your own standard. Go ahead. I think I jumped in there. Sorry. Well, I just wanted to tell the listeners and apologize to our listeners in advance. I'm fighting off either a sinus 
thing or a cold or something, so my voice is kind of in and out. And just honestly, I had a really rough week, so I'm not 100% tonight. So please bear with me if I get more tongue-tied than usual or if my speech is a little more incoherent than usual. You know, I live in the in the city of chaos, and tonight I think all of us wanting to try to emerge at the same time. So I do apologize in advance to our listeners for <laughs> me not quite being all here tonight. Not that I'm ever all here, but <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Brother, you are far more here than some of the people we're talking about. So praise God for you. Even when, even in, even in a broken state, you're still more here than some people that we deal with. But you know, it's funny. Okay, talking about the JD Greer thing. So you know, and the and the whole loving thing, and 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 dealing with someone who is whose mental faculties are either so far gone that they just can't see reality. Or they want to believe a lie because that's more comfortable. J.D. Greer says, no, I don't, want to, I don't want to fight that. I don't want to speak the truth into their life because that would be a stumbling block. And I'll let them sit in my church. And by the way, if a you know, person who calls themselves trans shows up at your church, let them sit in the pew and let them hear the word of God being exposited. By all means, let them do so. But speak the truth. Don't, don't dodge around God made them male and female. You know, let's let's what let's talk something about what uh, you know Paul says in Ephesians chapter four when he st- says uh, referring to Christ in starting chapter four verse eleven and he gave the apostles and the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So the job is to equip, right? You're, you're up there preaching. You're there to equip the saints. Why? For the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Your job, Pastor J.D. Greer, is to preach the truth so that people grow, so they can serve God, so they can be unified in Christ and be mature to the measure... Okay. Oh, oh, go ahead. Well, finish, finish the verse, and okay. I, I'm, I'm going to throw a caveat at you. Okay. So, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. To love someone sitting in your congregation is to teach them to avoid falsehood, to avoid false doctrine, to not be carried away by deceitful schemes. And here's the catch. Rather, speaking the truth in what? In love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We preach the truth, and we're doing so in love when we teach people not to believe a lie. So it is nonsense when I hear someone like this, Rich, say, well, I'll, I'll defer to their preferred pronouns. You're teaching them to believe a lie. That's not loving. My question, why is that person sitting in the pews among the saints when they're living in open rebellion to God? And I think that's part of the problem in today's society and within American evangelicalism. And I've said this before, 
decades ago, we kicked the doors open, invited the world into church, and guess what? Instead of the church changing the world, the world has transformed the church into believing and living and using its definitions. So first thing, um, as a pastor, I would say that that person needs to be getting the gospel proclaimed to them intensely before you ever allow them in the pews with the true saints, because everything that you just read applies to Christians. And no one can be truly a prophet, you know, no one can be truly in Christ if they're living in open rebellion. And I'm not saying that as Christians, we don't sin, but we mourn over that sin. We fight against that sin. We pray for strength against that sin. We repent to the Lord. We go to him in tears and mourning over that sin. We're not sitting here flaunting that sin for the world to see and encouraging other people to live and affirm our beliefs by using preferred pronouns or allowing that person to share their ungodly views with people among the pews. And I'd say the first thing is, is to truly love our neighbor. You know, first we need to love our brothers and sisters, and part of that love is defending them from ungodly ideologies and defending them and protecting them from these ungodly worldviews. Amen. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And please understand, when I say if a person who identifies as trans comes into your church, I'm not saying make them a member. I'm not saying let them be in service uh, in terms of serving the church. I'm not saying let them be someone who is just sitting there unchallenged. I'm simply saying if you're preaching the gospel and that person's sitting there listening, let them be there. But if you've got someone who's trying to claim that they're a member of your church, trying to claim I'm an attender of this church, and they are living in rebellion to the you know the 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 way that God created them, you need to be preaching the truth to them, and you need to be challenging, as you said, Rich. And if they re- if they are going to sit there and go, nope, I'm just going to sit here, listen to you, and live my life in rebellion, and I'm going to impact the people around me by demonstrating that I will live unchanged, then there's where that's where church discipline starts to come into play. Because you that's need, when you do go ahead. That's when you do what Paul said. You called them out. And my understanding is when he did that, he called them out in front of everyone. Yep. And they were told you're not welcome here anymore. Hit the road. Exactly. And because that, the okay. Bible is the Bible makes, you know, explicit commands about cast the evil person away from you Mm -hmm. that we're not to enter into a spiritual endeavor with the world and worshiping god what could be more of a spiritual endeavor than sitting under the preaching and and listening and learning about the things of god Mm. what is more of a spiritual endeavor than that exactly Exactly, and that's the thing. If, if we're genuinely going to love our brethren, or love the people in this world, love our neighbors, then it starts there. We have to love them enough to 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 preach the truth. And, and we watched, as, as we said earlier, an entire year. Oh, hey, love your neighbor. Don't go to church. I mean, love your neighbor. Excuse me, love my neighbor. So shut down my church, where I've been commanded to do exactly what we just talked about from Ephesians chapter 4, to preach the truth in love, to equip the saints, to pray together, to do the one another's together, to not forsake the gathering. How am I loving my neighbor? 
I'm telling them, go Lone Ranger it. Don't get together. Don't be with the Saints. Don't. Are you kidding me? This is not loving. This is depriving. Well, somebody might get sick. You are right. People might get sick. And common sense has to play in. Our church every week, even before COVID came in, had a rule, has had a rule. If you're sick, please stay home. Because we're a small church and we have a wide range of ages, including people who are older, who have illnesses, who have ailments, and bringing the flu in can be deadly. So if you're sick, stay home. We, 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 you know, we had daycare kind of set up for kids so parents could be in service. We, we have a mixed congregation, but we had childcare. We, we had uh, lessons and crafts for the little kids. So they wouldn't, you know, completely, you know, uh, have the ants in their pants in class uh, in church if parents wanted to to uh, put them in there. Guess what we did? We wiped things down. We cleaned things. That's what you do. Okay, that's loving your neighbor. How is that not loving your neighbor? No, no, no. Shut down your church. That's loving your neighbor because illness. But you're depriving the saints. You're depriving them of the time of worship. You're depriving them of the time of gathering together and praying together. You're depriving them of the ability to love one another and equip one another. How on earth is that loving? It's not loving. It is a denial of the very word of God. And so, Rich, I'm sorry, when we hear things like, we'll love your neighbor, that is the world defining for us what love is. Because someone might get sick. Well, that's always been a risk. We're in a fallen world. Well, one point, too, that I hope our brothers and sisters realize, when it comes to the spiritual aspects of loving your neighbor, the world is always going to consider biblical love as hatred, because I can, I can hear the teeth grinding now when I was talking about what Paul did about casting the evil person out from among you. I could hear the grinding teeth already. Well, that's not very loving. Yeah. If you, if you loved them, you'd bring them in. No. Biblical love is always going to be hated by the world. And when I say biblical love, that will be covered here momentarily, because biblical love does no harm. Biblical love does not condone sin of any sort. Biblical love confront, confronts sin, proclaims God's true gospel, not the watered-down one that most people want to hear. God created all of us. God created everything. He is the creator of all things. Guess what? He gets to decide how his creation is to live. He gets to decide what is sin. He gets to decide everything about everyone. And no person on earth can deny God, because at some point in time, whether tonight, tomorrow, or 40 years from now, every person living and every person that has died up to this point will kneel before God, and they will face either God's wrath for their disobedience living here on earth, or they will be seen through the eyes of Christ because they were truly saved. That is that is a hard, hard fact, and I'm sorry if if you find that troublesome, but you need to be opening your Bible and reading it if you're a professing Christian, and you find that offensive. Yeah. That is the biblical truth. You will be judged according 
to everything on this earth, thought, word, and deed, you will be judged. And guess what? Not only will you be judged for your sins, you will be judged for the sins that you lead others into. Because if you go to the Bible, Christ said, um, in the world temptation will come, but woe to the one by whom that temptation comes. So by affirming these people's sins, you're a tempter. You're one, you're one of the ones that are leading them into sin. You'll be held accountable for that as well. I think that's an aspect a lot of people don't seem to realize anymore. No, absolutely. That's the thing. I mean, the, the God that we serve is a God of love, to be sure. But he is a God from whom we know what is good because he is goodness. He is a God whom judges sin because he is none of the things that sin is. Anything that's in rebellion to him is sin. Anything that is lawless is sin. And we are called to share the gospel which says, you have sinned, here's what you've done. Here is the God who will be judge over you. He will condemn you. Turn to him and live, and he will forgive you. That is loving. So the idea that we can compromise and def define love from a worldly standpoint is ludicrous. It's utter lud utterly ludicrous. I'm sorry, my tongue-tied disease, I think, caught up with you because you were kind of doing a rope, treat, rope trick that moment. <laughs> I, I'm, I apologize for interrupting you, but okay. I, I couldn't contain myself. I was like, all right, what did I say? Well, well that's okay. We've, gave, we've given Andrew more, uh, more blooper reel that he can use for sound effects on his show. Uh, so that'll make him happy. But, <laughs> but anyway, the point that we're getting at is that true love speaks truth. It doesn't reinforce falsehoods. It doesn't reinforce comforting lies. It reinforces that God is God and you are not. That's what true love teaches. And, and the thing that's, uh, that's driving us all crazy is the, the whole social justice thing, right? That's basically another version of love your neighbor. Because, you know, there are people who have been oppressed and therefore, because the, uh, there's ongoing systemic oppression, you need to be about social justice because God is, a, God is a God of justice. Yeah, I'm getting a bit snarky in my language. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> my tone has gotten a little bit valley girl. I'm sorry. But um, the whole point is, is that it is a redefining of justice, a redefining of right and wrong, a redefining of, uh, you know, racism and hatred and all those things so that we can justify. I, I just did an article on this and really got up somebody's nose. I just did an article on the whole idea that, you know, er Daryl was talking about it on Twitter and it sparked something with me. This whole idea of adding more law because, well, in order to make justice happen and social justice to happen, we have to have all these rules that have to be set upon you so you can be loving. And it's like, are you kidding me? Law does not change the human heart. Law exposes the fact that you can't keep it and that you need Christ. Uh, that, that's what the law does. The, the, a loving use of God's law says you are in rebellion. And, you know, Paul writes about this extensively in, in Romans. That the use of hey, the... Hey, brother. Yeah. 
before we get to that part of it, I wanted to <clears throat> just clear this up. God's love is holiness. God's justice is holiness. On this earth, in our flesh, we will never be perfectly holy and conform to that image of God, not until we stand in heaven if we're saved, because then we're in Christ, and we will become everything that we should be as a Christian. We will never perfectly attain that here on earth, because our journey here on earth will always be a war between the spirit and the flesh. Sadly, the world is in the flesh. It has not the spirit of Christ. It does not have the Holy Spirit. The world defines love, and I'll make this as simple as possible. The world defines love by emotionalism and by self. The world defines love by whatever makes me happy, Mm -hmm. whatever makes me feel good. That is love. If you love me, you're going to go along with it. If you don't love me, that's just pure out hatred. If you don't affirm Mm -hmm. what I love, if you don't don't affirm my definition of love, you're being hateful. Now, we've covered all this, and you did really good about the social justice part, and I kind of interrupted you. That's okay. The rest of this this program, instead of giving examples of of what the world defines as love, we're going to look and see what the Bible actually says and how it defines loving your neighbor. Amen. So let's let's start with Romans, because since we were there just a second ago, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, Paul, I think, really does a great job helping us understand what love looks like. He says, let love be genuine. Okay, genuine love is, like we talked about a minute ago, is love that points you back to Christ. Okay, that's genuine love. Love is, as Rich just pointed out, it is not love to reaffirm someone's sin, someone's delusion, someone's personal comfort levels. That's not love. Okay, so he says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Out of the gate. All right, define, d- define abhor just for those that may not... We- <laughs> understand exactly the depth of that word. To, to to abhor something is to find it detestable, to hate it, to want to have nothing to do with it. Okay? You are to abhor what is evil. You hate I'm, evil. Go ahead. A pastor friend once described that word in the following manner, and I'm going to paraphrase because... His words were far more eloquent than mine, but basically, think of yourself as walking down the street or walking around the block. You come, ac- you come across a dead animal. It's been laying there in a hot sun for a few days. Well, besides the smell and the look and the maggots, you know, you're not going to walk up to it and want to put your hands all over it. You're going to want to get as far away from that rotting corpse as possible. Mm-hmm. That is what that passage when it talks about abhor what's evil, that's the very graphic description of what abhorring evil should look like. I like what uh, Merriam-Webster says here. To regard with extreme repugnance, to feel hatred or loathing for. So like you said, get as far away from it as you can. That So... When he says, let love be genuine, the first thing he says is, 
Hate that which is evil. Hate it. Have nothing to do with it. Why? Because God hates sin. The wages of sin is death. That's how much God hates sin. So this idea that you can love someone in and love their sin and affirm their sin, that is not love. That is well, hatred. The next, thing, the next thing that is a challenge for the church today, sadly, is we have to define sin according to the Bible. Amen. We cannot we cannot assume any longer just because someone's being a been a professing Christian for twenty or forty years, we cannot assume that they understand sin as the Bible has defined it. We have got to go back and use the Bible and use what God has defined these words as being when he defines sin, when he defines evil. We've got to use his definition, not the philosophies or ideologies or anything created by the wisdom of man. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And that, you know, when you go to the next part of it, he says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. To love is to point people to God who is that which is good. And everything in his word is good. Everything that he commands us to do is good. All of it is good. That which he hates, that which he detests, that which he abhors, we are to likewise hate and abhor. And then he says, verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. You cannot love with brotherly affection if you are not responding to sin. Okay, if a person sits in your congregation and is in utter rebellion to God, say like a man who sleeps, sleeps with his father's wife, Corinthian church. They left him in the church and they allowed him to be there with no correction, no church discipline. What did Paul say? Cast him out. Brotherly affection points us to God and his love, but it points us also to repent of sin. Outdo one another in showing honor. Honor those to whom honor is due. Don't try to draw honor to yourself. That's probably one of my worst uh, failings, wanting attention, wanting people to recognize me. I, it's, it's one of the worst pride-filled things that I constantly deal with. We are to repent of that and to honor others, to put others as, esteem them higher than ourselves, right? Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Don't be lazy. Put your energy and your, you know, and, and fervency into serving God. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. We are all living at a time, and Rich and I were talking about this in pre-show, we're, we're all talking about the craziness. We're talking about the social justice stuff. We're talking about the critical race theory stuff. We're talking about the attacks on the church. What are we not doing enough of? We're not rejoicing in hope. We're not encouraging one another to rejoice. 
when we see these things, and this is not to get on eschatology, but when we see these things, what did Christ say? Rejoice because, you know, you look up because your redemption draws nigh, right? We are to look up. They are to be reminders that we have a hope in Christ. So when the craziness and the sin and the, the attacks on the church are, are rampant, we are to rejoice in hope and we are to be patient through tribulation. Being patient doesn't mean you sit there in the pew and don't do anything. Of course we can war against that which is coming against the church. But we rejoice and we are patient knowing God will deliver us through it. Either by allowing us to endure it and being with us every step of the way. Or taking us out of it because he took us home. Okay, But we rejoice in, we encourage people to rejoice in the hope in Christ. That we build each other up to be patient and we're praying together constantly. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rich, I don't know that we're doing that very well in the church right now. <laughs> there is persecution going on. And I think a lot of us, well, we'd like to go out there with baseball bats and machetes and fight back, I think. <laughs> but we are... Said, oh, go ahead. Well, sadly, in our flesh, that tends to be our reaction sometimes but by the spirit what we should be doing is when we come across individuals that are not only promoting and endorsing and encouraging sinful lifestyles and sinful ideologies and sinful theologies we get angry we want to shake our fist at them a lot of times we'd like to be able to reach through the cell phone screen and just wallop them upside the head yeah. And slap some sense into it. But what we should be doing is praying and begging Christ to open their hearts to understand his truth. We should be praying and begging Christ to grant these individuals true salvation because I think we've come to a time that people don't want to acknowledge there's it's the time it's time the time has come to start calling some of these people what they actually are and that's false converts. Amen. Because I know that each of us may go through a season of sin. You know, we, we, we may struggle through a season of, of a specific sin, but we will not end up in that sin and remain there because some way or another, Christ will yank us back out of it. But sadly, I'm seeing, as Paul described, they're now walking as enemies of the cross. I think it's Philippians 3.18. He talks about them now walking as enemies of the cross, at, at some point, we're going to have to acknowledge that these men that we may have considered friends, we may have called brothers for X number of years, sadly, the time may have, may have come to acknowledge that they are walking as enemies of the cross. And instead of getting in these long, drawn-out debates, we need to be spending that time praying and begging Christ to grant them true salvation. Amen. Amen. So we are to bless those... Who persecute us, bless and do not curse them. What does that look like, Rich? I mean, when we're we're blessing those who persecute us, praying for them would be a real good start. Now, I agree with many a, a pastor and, and and podcaster and and blogger who say that part of praying for bad leaders and and those who come against us is for God to stop them. But I also believe we pray for their salvation. You know, we pray, you know, uh, that God 
would bless them. But also, as David often prayed to remove them for, for those who are coming against his church. But we don't curse them. Okay, we don't we don't turn and use their means back on them. Vengeance is God is God's, right? He says vengeance is mine. We don't we don't turn and use the world's means and attack against them. But we certainly we can stand in truth we can stand against what they're doing, but we can be a blessing to them. We can love them. What about your neighbors or your coworkers who may be part of groups on Facebook or Twitter or something that just, you know, they, they vote for Biden and they hate Christians, but you are neighborly to them. You love them. You shovel their walk. You pick up their kids from school. You you know, help them with their groceries into the house, whatever that is. What does that testimony say? I love you as a creation of God. You may hate me, and I may call you to repentance in Christ, but I love you as a creation of God. That's genuine love. Not affirming sin. Not comforting them in their evil calling them to repentance, but loving them and not cursing them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. That's something some of us could be better about. We really like to cozy up to the guys at the conferences, the, the speakers that are the that the spotlights are on, right? We, we, we like to, hey, I'm guilty of this, okay? I got all kinds of giddy when James White followed me on Twitter and this, I, I doubt that he'll ever listen to this, but James, if you, it, I'm not trying to knock on you here. I want to make a point. It was cool, but how many people f that follow or interact with the show who have nothing to contribute except that they pray for me and, or enrich and they, they, they love us and they, and they share and I never know their names Boy, I, I like the attention that I get from this guy, but who are you again? That's that's bad. We do we should be willing to associate with the people who can offer nothing to us. Do we do that enough? A that's a tough question, isn't it? Are you loving your neighbor by associating with somebody who has nothing to offer you? But the fact that they are your brother or sister in Christ. There's loving your neighbor. Ouch. Because I know a lot of us, yeah, we need to say amen, but we're saying ouch. <laughs> Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Oh, boy, do I break that one a lot. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm right about everything. Just ask Rich. Um, I'm never wrong. Um, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. This is another one I think we could all be working on. And, well, and go ahead. Let, let me add, let me add on that on that part of the verse. It does not that that is not giving you permission to affirm their sin. Yeah. That that is not what that verse means. I have seen that 
portion twisted and taken out of context and used to try to legitimize saying that, well, if you truly love your neighbor, you need to do this, this, or this, which goes contrary to the Bible. Exactly. And remember this, not everyone is your brother or sister. Everyone is your neighbor, but only those truly saved in Christ are your brothers and sisters. Please try to remember that, because that is the next thing I've seen, and we may or may not get into a certain individual down the road, but this person has made that comment that everybody is a brother or a sister. No, they're not. No. That's universalism, if anything. Yeah. Thinking that everyone is saved. No, you, you, you need to understand when the Bible talks about brothers and sisters, it is talking about true fellow believers in Christ. Amen. And we cannot, if, if someone tells you that they're a Christian, that's not sufficient any longer. You need to ask them questions, especially if it's someone you're going to be interacting with on a regular basis. If, if, they're at, if they're adhering to a gospel that is contrary to what the Bible teaches, the Bible's definition of sin, the Bible's definition of salvation, if they're holding to something contrary to that, don't view them as a brother or sister. You view them as someone that needs to hear and have explained sin and what the biblical gospel actually is. Amen. Amen. Uh, let me let me finish this this part up. I I know there was pass some uh, passage you wanted to go through, Rich, but just finish this up real quick. We are to give thought to what is honorable. That is exactly what Rich said. Honorable. We don't mistreat one another mistreat in the sense of biblical but to do what is honorable well it is honorable to point people back to christ but we do so by speaking the truth in love right we we don't create havoc we don't go on the internet and flame one another (laughs) we don't tear down and destroy and leave in ruins we may have to call out sin but we point back to Christ right that's that's doing what is honorable if possible so far as it depends upon you depends on you live peaceably with all that's getting very difficult in this day and age but we need to live peaceably we don't need to go seeking fights plenty of fights will find their way to our doorstep believe me we live peaceably as much as it is possible with you. That's demonstrating love, right? You still stand on the word of God. You still call out sin. You still meet. You still gather. You still worship. You still preach the gospel. But as far as it is depends on you, live peaceably. Don't go looking for a fight. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We just talked about that. To the contrary... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, for the person who wants to say as Rich has been hearing, well, that means you never judge, and that means you never tell people that they're sin- sinners, and that means that you, uh, you, you, you just affirm people in their sin. Back up. If your enemy is hungry, 
How do you know they're your enemy? They oppose God. They oppose his word. They oppose you because you preach his word. If he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Meet the needs where God gives you the ability to do so. And by the way, that's not evangelism. That's acts of kindness. <laughs> evangelism is preaching the gospel. These are acts of kindness. And he says to do that. Well, there was one commentator, and I apologize. I can't remember right off the top of my head, because, I, and I don't have it in my notes, that went on to exposit and say that in that passage when it talked about feeding and give them something to drink that that passage actually means give them the bread of life and the water of life in other words give them proclaim the gospel to them yeah and i, I, I find I that a very that interesting huh i would agree with that 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 uh that ver uh, that understanding of it too well i find that is a very interesting concept you know and, you know, in other places, I think it was in Matthew, Jesus talks about feeding and, and providing drink. But, you know, within the context of this verse, I can see where this commentator was coming from because, you know, we've, we're all familiar with, with the words of Christ being called the bread of life and where we're not to live on bread alone and mm -hmm. Christ being described as living water and all of these type of things. So, you know... Whether you understand that verse to mean physical needs or the gospel, my, my, my suggestion is to do both. Feed them, give them something to drink while proclaiming the gospel to them. Amen. Absolutely. But I mean, think, think about this passage. It says, let your love be genuine. And the first thing that Paul does is start with abhorring evil. And by the end of this particular passage, and there's more context, of course, but we are to overcome evil with good. So we are to be loving. We are to be providing, as you mentioned earlier, Rich, in practical ways. But we are to call out sin. We are to be fervent in prayer. We are to be energetic in our service. We are to build one another up. We are to be humbled people, associate with the lowly. We are to do all the things that means I point myself back to God so that that's what you're looking at and not me. It is humble service to the Lord and pointing people back to Him. That's loving. That's loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is not promoting a lie. Loving your neighbor is not affirming a lie or affirming sin. Loving your neighbor is not preventing the body of Christ from coming together. And loving your neighbor is not misapplying the word of God by redefining justice so somebody gets something. Love is pointing out sin, calling people repentance to sin, and serving with joy and humility and loving people enough to not only provide for them, but point them to the truth of the gospel. That is loving your neighbor. Rich, let me hand over to you because I've been talking for a little too long here. <laughs> <laughs> well, needless to say, there are countless other passages of Scripture that you can go to. Researching and studying this, I discovered something I had not realized before, even though I've read through the New Testament I don't know how many times. But as we've all been told, 
every time you go through a portion of scripture, the deeper you go, the more you understand, the more things jump out. I know for myself, there's been passages I've read, I don't, you know, maybe a hundred times, and then all of a sudden, bam, the Lord allows me to see something and understand something I had not seen or understood before. Looking through this, I came to the realization that throughout the New Testament, Paul emphasizes these concepts over and over and over again, stating about loving our neighbor and defining what that looks like. Um, and I'm going to get your pencil and piece of paper out if you want, and I'll go through this somewhat slow. But here's just a few that we came across. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Romans 13, 8 through 14. Romans 15, 1 through 7. 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. And uh, one that I read last night that it jumped out to me again. Ephesians 5. It taught, it, the header says, walk in love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, that there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. There's another parallel back to the passage Chris read about it, pouring what is evil. Here he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Is that not what we've been talking about this entire episode when it comes to the world's definition of love your neighbor? And going on, therefore, now what have we always heard? When you hear therefore, we have to ask, what's it there for? Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And I have a question for you. How many times or when is the last time you asked the Lord to grant you discernment to understand and know what is pleasing to him? When is the, ask, when is the last time you asked the Lord to increase your wisdom and understanding and discernment so you would walk and know what is pleasing to him? Then going on, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Have we not been trying to explain this this entire episode? For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you will walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When is the last time you've addressed a brother or sister with psalms or hymns or songs or making melody with your heart to the Lord? When do we ever do that? When do we ever address each other and in, in such a way that glorifies God. I mean, think about it. I know I fail at this miserably. What about you, Chris? I tell you, uh, the, uh, we have to do that. We have to, you know, examine ourselves that way. And I, I, like you, I fail at it constantly, constantly, you know, but, we we as Christians need to point each other to that. That we are desiring people to walk in holiness. You know, that we are to love the Lord and His commandments. I, I, I fail to understand how people... Well, I okay, let me rephrase that. I know why. Because as you pointed out earlier, Rich, there are a great many that we have to ask the question, are you even in the faith? But I, 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 I fail to see, unless you just utterly reject the word of God, how you can fail to see that loving your neighbor means anything less than pointing them to exactly what you just said. I, 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 I don't understand it. And we need to do it. We absolutely need to do it. If we love one another, then we're going to do that. So I'm, I'm with you, brother. I I fail regularly. So I, I, anyway, keep going. I'm sorry. Um, well, I mean that was just a few, but I would encourage our listeners to take some time and and go through the different epistles and see what you can find when it comes to. It explaining and showing what biblical, what it looks like biblically to love your neighbor, because that was just a small portion. And if nothing else, take these verses and and lock lock them in your heart, bookmark them in your Bible. So when you come across people that claim that loving your neighbor looks like this, this, or this, and you know that's not what the Bible says, open your Bible and say, no, this is what the Bible says when it comes to loving your neighbor. And more than likely, at some point, you will have to define sin to that person as the Bible says. Yeah. That is a sad thing when among American evangelicalism, among prefer- professing Christians, among the pews, we cannot agree on what the Bible defines as sin. Fifty years ago, that was not an issue. I know back in... Um, what was it? I think like 1975. It was an episode of Sanford and Son from 1975. And there was a couple of comments about basically homosexuality. And the comment was made, well, it's starting to be a popular thing. It's starting to be a big thing. Well, that was in 1975. And I just want people to realize this didn't just happen overnight. This has been a, this has been a disease slowly infecting the pews and the churches for decades. Yeah. And the only thing we can do is pray and proclaim the gospel, open our Bible, and show people what the Bible actually says 
and not leave them to their own opinions, to their own emotions, to their own definitions. We have got to use the Bible and show it and explain to people how the Bible defines these terms. And guess what? We can explain it until we're blue in the face, but only Christ can allow them to understand it. Only Christ can open their hearts to understand it. So in addition to doing these things when it comes to defending the Bible, we need to be praying for that person. We need to pray that Christ opens their heart so they can truly understand what he means about what he says. Amen. Amen. I mean, I, this is one of the most important things, that if we can get this through to everybody in this episode, that love points people to God's Word. That's love. No other thing is nearly as important as getting people to understand that Scripture is the revealed Word of God, and that is how we are to order our lives. Scripture reveals what is, who God is. It reveals what is sin, because God is good, and anything that is in contradiction to Him is sin. It reveals that we are sinners by nature. And yes, we have a sin nature to the person who wanted to hawk on my timeline their heretical book trying to say we don't have a sin nature. Yeah, we have a sin nature. Go read Romans. Um, (laughs) That we are sinful people that all it takes is to be told, don't touch the wet paint before the first thing you want to do is touch the wet paint to reveal that you're a sinner. That we need Jesus Christ because he died to pay the price for sinners, take, taking the wrath of God. We need to point them to the fact that we have to repent of sin and turn to Christ. How much more loving can you get than to tell someone they are at war with God, but God himself has provided the means of forgiveness? Get this, if you get nothing else, affirming a person so they feel comfortable sitting in your pew is not loving. Telling that person you are at war with God and he will condemn you unless you repent and turn to Christ who he sent to save you is. Telling people, gee, folks might get sick so don't go to church is not loving. But come to worship the risen Lord. To worship him in prayer, in, uh, in, in song, and in the study of his word and going out and practicing what he said to do. That's loving. Telling people, you need to give up stuff so other people can have stuff. Because their, their ancestors, well, they didn't have it very well. And it's your fault even though you weren't there. That's not loving. 
Misappropriating God's definition of justice is not loving. But telling a person, God in his righteous justice will condemn you for your sin. And if you hate another person, whether it be because of uh, some silly thing like the amount of melanin in your skin, or because of their politics, or because uh, you just don't get along with them and you can't stand them, that's a sin that God will, in his righteous judges, judgment, condemn you for. But repent, and he will tur- and turn to Christ, and he will forgive you. That's loving. If you are a church that has up on your sign, we love everybody equally. We're tolerant. Shut your church down. You don't love those people. You hate them because you will put them in front of God on judgment day to be condemned to hell. Pastor, don't compromise. Teach your people to genuinely love their neighbor. Yes, there are practical things. Rich, you said it. Practical things that we can do that demonstrate love. But the greatest love we can show anyone is that we, wicked and evil rebels who one day were fighting against God, are now his adopted children by his grace. There is no greater love that we can show. It has cost Christians for centuries. To preach that message. Some with their very lives. How much love. Is there. To give up your life. So that people. Can meet Jesus Christ. But it costs you. Nothing. To compromise with the world. And let them feel comfortable. Sitting in a pew. That is not love. That is not love. Love is pointing people to Christ. Go out there and love people this week. Rich, any last thoughts? Well, I just would encourage everyone to start praying, Lord, grant you perseverance that you'll stand firm in the faith. Um, We're still blessed in America to where, for the most part, it's not costing us anything to stand on biblical truth but the day's coming and you need to be prepared and like any soldier getting ready for battle they practice they drill they get as prepared as they possibly can be we need to be getting prepared we need to be praying now that the lord strengthen us in these areas of our life praying that the lord grant us wisdom praying that the lord grant us a greater desire for proclaiming his gospel, praying that the Lord grant us greater wisdom in his word, praying that the Lord grant us strength to stand on his word, even when it may cost us our friends, our family, maybe even our jobs, our status in society, um, our standing as a member in in the community, um, in the case of some of these individuals, even if it means the cost of Losing your high position in a certain denomination, 
if it means in the case of the SBC, if it means the denomination shrinking physically with less members, but being more biblically sound, so be it. That's what Christ meant by loving him more than loving family or all these other things. Those are the type of things we need to be praying and seeking for now and not waiting to get equipped after the hammer finally falls or whatever ends up happening. But we're at war now with the professing church in America because you see it, we see it more and more and more and more every day. Denominations that are embracing and openly celebrating all of these things that God has deemed as sin. We need to be praying that we're strengthened in God's word so we don't fall to these empty words and, and the deceit that the world is spreading. We need to be praying that the Lord strengthen us in him, in his word, in his gospel, and that we not only are strengthened, but pray that he emboldens us, that we, that we have the boldness that Paul prayed for, that we should be proclaiming these things as we ought. And in closing, I'll say like I do each week, whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim Christ at least once a day. Amen. Amen. Now, there were two things that Rich sent me before the show started. Uh, actually, I think he sent them to me yesterday. They were, uh, one was a an article written by Pastor John MacArthur for Table Talk Magazine back in 2004, uh, talking about this very subject, about loving your neighbor, and it's an article called True Love. I'm going to put that in the show notes. I want you guys to go read that. And then there's a 45-minute message also on Ligonier's website from their 1998 National Conference on Amazing Love. 45-minute message uh, that Pastor MacArthur gave, again, Pastor John MacArthur, about loving your neighbor. And I think both of them, absolutely powerful, um, really did far better than what we we did, which I would expect from Pastor John MacArthur. Um, Go listen to this uh, this message. Go read this article, and you will be well equipped when people come to you and they say, "Well, you need to love your neighbor." Okay, well, let's talk about that. What does it mean to love my neighbor? The whole point of this show, as Rich said earlier, was to kind of give an apologetic, you know, an explanation of what it means to love, to love our neighbor, so that we as Christians, as we continue to encounter people, and we will. You will be called a fake Christian. All of us have been at some point simply because you stand against the, the liberal onslaught, the progressivist leftist onslaught, and that's hard to be called a fake Christian. It's hard to be called unloving. We don't like it. It makes us uncomfortable, but we got to stand for what is right and what is true. So our hope for this program was to do that, that we gave you something to reconsider, that loving your neighbor isn't just about what the, the world tells you love looks like, that there's a biblical understanding of what love looks like. Remember, when people say, well, God is love, right, there's another part to that passage. And God revealed his love in, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love was expressed by the fact that he sent his son to die in our place. Why? Because we deserve to die. 
Why? Because we are at war with God through sin. We cannot stand and applaud sin and act as if that's loving. We need to stand on the truth of God's word. So I'll put those in the show notes. Uh, I'll, I mentioned earlier the uh, the article that about adding law, the social justice thing uh, that I wrote earlier this week. I will put that in the show notes as well in case you're curious what I was talking about. Um, so those will also be in there. But as you go this week, genuinely love your neighbor. Genuinely love your neighbor. And as Rich said, part of that means you go out and find someone to share the gospel with. You need to love them enough to tell them the truth. Folks, thank you for being with us. We are so grateful for your time. Uh, we, we're just amazed how many of you continue to, to tune in and listen to us and, uh, to, you know, and in some cases even share. Um, you, you guys are just a blessing to us and you make this so, so much fun and, and so worthwhile. Um, oh, and I forget. I, I, I forget to do this sometimes. I want to remind you, we are part of the Christian podcast community. There are some fantastic podcast programs on there. Uh, you can just you know Google Christian podcast community. You will find a host of them. And uh, Drew and Chris, this is to get you all back. Y'all need to go tune into Theology Matter or Matter of Theology. I almost got it wrong. Matter of Theology. Uh, those guys do a fantastic job. And uh, they were. I was listening to their program early, uh, from this week about uh, training up for persecution because, as as we talked about, that's coming. I think you guys need to go listen to that program. Uh, go listen to Andrew's programs. He's got a bunch of them. He just did an interview with uh, Phil Johnson. You guys really need to go listen to that one. It was a great one. Uh, so go to Rap Report, R-A-P-P Report. Go listen to those. You guys will always find something great and something edifying on the Christian podcast community. So please go check it out. God bless you guys. We will see you next week. Mm-hmm.